Oh yeah. It's your boy Malcolm Riddle coming at you. That's right. It's Christmas Day, afternoon, evening, whatever time you're listening to this. This is another episode of American Riddle, and I am flying solo. Miriam Tazi's on uh, on vacation. She's got some family in from Africa, and they're doing what they do. And I'm sitting here coming at you live and direct. So I got a, a special episode. I guess I can say it's special because you guys haven't heard me talk about the new uh, new Star Wars movie, uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, and uh, I've been holding back. So I've been holding back my thoughts for a number of reasons, but I think I'm going to dedicate this entire episode. On not so much a review of that film, but almost a study of it. Because it would be easy for me just to go in and say, I like this, I don't like that, they should have done this, they should, shouldn't should have done that. We've all been down that road before. But I think I'm going to dive into a bit of a, bit of a study into you know, what, what brought us here, circa 2015. Episode 7. You know, what What got us here? And and what's next? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, who, who knows what's next? So, in, indulge me. Kick back. Relax. And let's listen to this Star Wars holiday special on American Riddle. You think I'm a replicant, don't you? Look, it's me with my mother. Yeah? Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? And? And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. Implants. Those aren't your memories. They're somebody else's. They're Tyrell's nieces. Okay. Bad joke. I made a bad joke. You're not a replicant. Go home. Okay? No, really. I'm sorry. Go home. And that's a scene from uh, Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. You guessed it. It's not a scene from Star Wars, but it is going to make sense as I progress uh, through uh, this uh, podcast. And uh, I will question, you know, our memories, what we 
what we choose to believe, how we look at things, and ultimately, you know, how and why we lie to ourselves. Uh, uh, and, and that's a that's a good question. It's a solid. It's a valid question. Why do we lie? It's a simple question. Uh, you know, without a simple answer, we lie all the time. Think about it for a minute. We lie to ourselves. Uh, uh, you know, we, we make things up and we, we, we look at things, uh, uh, in a, in a weird way. So it's a, uh, it's a way that, uh, um, I think that, uh, sometimes we do it to, to please ourselves and even to fool ourselves. Um, and at the same time, we're not, we're not completely honest, uh, with ourselves, we 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 fool ourselves into believing things that are false, and we refuse to believe things that are true. In fact, we lie to ourselves about everything, from insignificant facts to massive life-altering realities. Now, I'm not sure, you know, where Star Wars uh, fits in to this uh, this this field of of lies, uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, it could be significant, insignificant, massive, <clears throat> or life-altering. Um, but it does happen, you know, especially in the Star Wars community. Now, this is going to make sense as I progress through this podcast. Like, you know, why why the hell is Malcolm talking about lies and lying to yourself? Well... I think you know what I'm talking about, and I think everyone remembers this. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The Force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. (laughs) And that's a clip from the trailer. The trailer of Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, circa 1999. And just based off that trailer, you know, hook, line, and sinker, I was in. You know what I mean? I was, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. You're probably listening and nodding your head right now, uh, thinking the same thing. But I was so taken by those trailers for Episode One that. I knew it was going to be the greatest thing. The second coming of the trilogy. The long-awaited second coming. 
and that's where my mind started playing tricks on me just because I was I was I was absorbing I was absorbing all those uh, 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 images from the trailer and the music and the lightsabers and the stormtroopers, which were clone troopers, we would find out. Uh, but that whole thing just it, again, I, w- I was hook, hook, line and sinker. No, no doubt about it. Um, but again, it goes to the mind and the mind psyche and, and how it again, we didn't know at the time, but how it plays tricks on you. So let's uh, let's look at this. Listen to this next clip and I'll go in. And this is upon the release of it. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind of everything that we know today, you know, especially especially as if you're a film buff, if you are a, a film historian, if you will, if uh, uh, you're someone who studies. Now, again, Star Wars movies are not. You know, it's not the Godfather, okay? But they're fun, and they're they are part of our pop culture. So, again, and you'll hear me say this more than once throughout uh, this podcast. Um, it's it is does play a, a a role within many people's lives, and it does mean a lot. Uh, you know, most definitely. Um, but again, what we know now, and looking back. Could our minds really trick us? And more importantly, could our minds trick us again? Fantastic. Just fantastic. Non-stop. 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 There was a lot more action in it than in all the others, and that's why I like it more. Listen to that for a minute. Okay, so those are just some some fans reacting to episode one. Fresh, fresh out of the theater. Fresh out, right? Uh, It's the first thought that comes in their mind. Of course, they're filled with emotion and excitement, passion, and everything that, 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 that comes in and comes with the Star Wars package. So they're coming out of the theater. Now this this clip is taken from Entertainment Tonight, so it's a bit dated, but this is a piece of history. 22 years after its launch, Star Wars returns to its outer space origins. Young Anakin Skywalker, who will become Darth Vader, must save the planet Naboo. Guiding him are two Jedi Knights, including Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor. Lift off is still a week and a half away, but special audiences in Los Angeles and New York were treated to a sneak preview that sent them into orbit. I got an invite. <laughs> it's fantastic. Good special effects, good story. Lives up to the originals. They're going to love it. They're going to go nuts. It was amazing. A lot of action, a lot of noise. It was cool. The screenings were for film industry folks and their families, but one ticket went to L.A. Laker Shaquille O'Neal, who says the film's success is a slam dunk. So... That's Shaquille O'Neal. And we know Shaq, right? He's credible. He's part of the the, 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 the credible, quote-unquote, A-listers, right? A-listers of the Hollywood community. This is Shaquille O'Neal, right? He probably a scholar in his own right. Probably a film historian in his own right. Shaq. Shaq Diesel. Shaq Fu. The Big Daddy. Superman. The Big Agave. The Big Cactus. A.K.A. the Big Shactus. A.K.A. the Big Galactus. 
This is Shaq Diesel, man, we're talking about, right? He's he, he, He's got a, you know, he, he's not one. He keeps it 100, right? He, he's going to tell it like it is about episode one. He comes fresh, fresh out of the theater. He, he, he's got to know something, right? Think of it. I think it was an excellent movie. I think Mr. Lucas did a fabulous job. Special effects were wonderful, and the storyline was wonderful. I'm going to probably come back and watch it a couple more times. The rest of Hollywood is counting down, eager for another visit to that galaxy far, far away. All the movies kicked ass. I mean, I just can't wait to see Drew Carey, Price is Right. He's, he's got to know something. I'd love to see it, and of course I'll go and see it. Sarah Ferguson. We'll definitely go. We're not, We're not going to be waiting in line a few weeks before, but... I remember when I saw the first one. Courtney Cox. It was fun, and it was funny, and it was deep sometimes. Antonio was, Banderas, Zorro. Gorgeous. I was... Totally blown away when I saw the first Star Stephen Wars. Stephen Baldwin, uh, he's got to know. It's, part, it's movies like that that made me want to get into the business. I'm a big fan of Star Wars, sure. I've seen all of them, and I'll uh, I'll see this one, too. Jeff Bridges, the, the dude. Thing, the hugest thing. I mean, everyone in the world can go see it. With episode one safely and Lucy back Liu. under lock and key, the stars will just have to wait. But these folks have already felt the force. Go see it as quick as you can. I don't think anybody's going to walk away disappointed from this movie. It is spectacular. I had a great time watching it, and I'm sure everyone else will, too. Back to you, Bob. And that's Leonard Maltin, okay, said, quote, quote, it was spectacular. Now, what we know now about episode one, and believe me, I'm not going to get into a, a rant about the issues I have with episode one, two or three for that matter. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. I, I think we've all been down this path. We either, we either like it, love it, hate it, or we've moved on. And that, that's the key thing, I think, here, uh, is, is moving on. But back to the Blade Runner clip that I played at the top of the podcast. It's one of those things that a replicant might do. And they may make up memories. You may make up lies you may fabricate something and, and believe that you've seen something that clearly you haven't just because it's, it's just based on emotion itself. Um, sometimes it's, it's to be appropriate in a social environment. Um, if, if a celebrity comes out of a premiere, as we just listened to, they come out of premiere and the camera's on them. You can't really say that the movie sucks. Can you, I mean, if you, if you, if you did say that, you'd be you'd be a, a hero and a villain all in, all in the same, and, and it'd probably be hard for you to interact within the Hollywood community. Um, if a fan comes out and a fan comes out of a theater and the, the news uh, crews are out and they're interviewing people, it's it's tough for someone to be honest at that time. They're going to say whatever comes to their mind, probably something more positive. Uh, but let's just take an average Joe, okay, off the streets. There's no cameras. There's no red carpet. There's no nothing. No A-listers, no B-listers, no C-listers. You're just going to the movies to watch a Star Wars movie. And you come out. And this movie just happens to be The Phantom Menace, right? And you come out. And you, you're, 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 you're high-fiving. You're giving the thumbs-ups. You're telling all your friends how great it was. That was me. 
And I did that for the better part of over a year. And it probably went on for another six months to another year before I came out. And even before I came out and went public that I didn't like the film. Shit. Hey, I just, I've just exposed myself for the nerd that I am and, 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 and B to cover up like a, does it really matter at the, at the, at the end of the day? But think about that for a minute. I've, I've basically, and I know I'm not the only one cause I've talked to other people over the years. Not that I'm still hung up on this, but over a specific point of time, I've talked to other people about the way that they lie to themselves, convincing themselves that they love the movie. Okay? And I had issues with the movie at the time, but I was going over it in my head over and over again. Not so much what was wrong with the film, because it, it, at that time it could not have been anything wrong with the film. I thought something was wrong with the theater. I thought the seats were too small. They didn't recline enough. I thought the popcorn was bad. I thought the, the pop was flat, or soda, if you call it that, was flat. I didn't know I, I, that, 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 that I was deceiving and being dishonest with myself. Not coming clean, some would say. And for a long time, I was just mad. Even after I came out, I was just, I was just pissed, straight up. I was pissed at George Lucas. You know, if someone brought up George Lucas, if someone brought up Star Wars, I was pissed. Like, for a very long time. A a very, 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 very long time. Which isn't good. Right? It's not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for anyone. It makes me look like a madman. Kind of like talking into this microphone alone today. It's like a a madman does this. But, again, it just... I, I wasn't getting anywhere. Like... I would find myself breaking down the movie and saying, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? And I just wasn't getting anywhere. It was like climbing a hill of feathers. And the best, the best person to, to sum that up, I recently saw Pat Oswalt, uh interview on, uh, on Late Night with Seth, Seth Meyers. And he basically sums it up uh, the best way on this interview. Um, I've always found that, and you actually talk, because obviously this book's about film, like movies are the same way. You know, yeah. when you're working on the stuff that we sort of more often work on, you get such quick feedback, you can sort of adjust in midstream. And you kind of came to a different conclusion or uh, changed your point of view on bad movies. Explain this. Okay, I used to be very, very snotty. I'm sure before you got on SNL, you would watch sketches and go, I could do better than that. And I would watch these movies and yes. go, oh my God, are you kidding? And then when you actually get into the doing it, and you realize... People work really hard on awful movies. They work as hard as the good movies. So when you watch an awful movie, what you've basically seen is a bunch of perfectly nice people put all of their money, like all the kids' college money, on one spin of the roulette wheel. (laughs) And sometimes it comes up, you know, a jackpot, and sometimes it's just a wipeout. So I respect bad movies way more now. And I'm not as dismissive as I was. But it was a bad movie that broke your addiction to movies. Yes, it was uh, The Phantom Menace uh, broke my addiction. It did. And look, listen, here's why it did, too, by the way. um, I saw it, and then I spent weeks, weeks afterwards with all my little 
nerd mafia friends going, this is the, it was terrible and this is wrong and, and we're discussing the ways it could have been better and they could have done this. And then it hit me into like week seven of this that, yeah, the movie was not good. I'm still spending set, I'm, I've been seven weeks talking about this thing. <laughs> yeah. He's moved on and working on the next movie. Like he did make a movie. He put movies out there. Some worked, some didn't. All I'm doing is sitting in a coffee shop with my friends going, here's what I would have done. I would have, should have been the guy they had to work with, not Jar Jar. Oh, I mean, that's, he was the Han Solo. Exactly. So, but we weren't having any effect on anything. We were just sitting there yammering about it. So I was like, wait a minute, I have to, it's like we basically, we were, Imagine being a comedy club heckler, except the comedian can't hear you. That's what we were. <laughs> right. The guy just doesn't care. It's like, I'm in my mansion in, uh, up in Marin County. I don't care. Say, say whatever you want. So it was that, that really, like, snapped me out of it a little bit. Uh, yeah. And that sums it up. That right there. Pat Oswalt sums it up that it's not that serious. Someone actually took the time and effort. And money to create something and put it out there. It's not, they're not always going to be great. At least great by your standard. Okay? i got to put heavy emphasis on that. By your standard. You know, these films are, are meant to be like those Saturday matinee serials from back in the days. They're meant to be cheesy and fun and sometimes not make sense. Uh, that's the whole point. I mean, everyone knows, uh, and maybe not everyone, but if you've, if you followed film, uh, uh, for some time, you know that the Star Wars trilogy itself, the original, isn't a story that's original. Uh, Lucas is borrowed from John Carter, Carter from Mars, uh, by, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, he's borrowed from, uh, uh, the Hidden Fortress. He borrowed from World War II dogfights. And of course, he borrowed, uh, from Flash Gordon, uh, you know, which he tried to buy rights, uh, the rights from uh, in the early 70s with no success. And this is the whole reason, the whole concept of uh, uh, him coming uh, with the idea to come up with his own Flash Gordon, his own serial uh, series saga uh, called Star Wars. Uh, but for some reason, for some reason, you know, we hold it near and dear and we take it very serious. And some people take it to extre extremes, but... The, the point is, um, you know, with, with Star Wars, and I think a lot of that success came, it comes from, you know, the youth. You know, when, 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 when that, that old movie magic uh, captivates your mind and your heart and your soul, uh, such did Star Wars in the 70s, because up, up to that point, there wasn't anything like that. And then, all, out of nowhere... Uh, you know, a few years later, he comes out with The Empire Strikes Back. Think about that for a minute. We've all seen Empire, right? That raised the bar. That raised the bar, especially when it comes to, to sequels. Uh, but just the way that film was made, uh, you know, with the cliffhangers and the way it ended, um, it, it just raised that bar. And then we just expected that from the next or anything else. Um, you know, and, and it's been a hunt. It's, it's, it's literally any film that's been judged from that point on has been scrutinized 
uh, because it doesn't meet that level of success. And that's tough. That's a tough hunt. That's like Ahab hunting the white whale. I mean, you know, it's, 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 you're, you're not going to get it. Uh, you can come close, but to imitate that, to try to, or should I say to duplicate that, that time has come and it's gone. So you, at some point you have to move on. With the Force Awakens, you know, it, it just it just makes me wonder, and not so much the Force Awakens, but with after after the the uh, original trilogy, Star Wars, Empire, Jedi, moving in fifteen years after that, moving into uh, um, Attack of the Clones, I just wonder. I wondered a lot about Lucas and his state of mind. Uh, or not not so much like, you know, like I cared, but I cared about the product because that's all we knew at that time. I mean, the internet was relatively young and there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, social media, the 24-hour news cycle, all that stuff was was either what didn't exist or is in its infancy stage. So you you didn't get a lot of information so you just didn't know what to you know what to expect and then looking back now at that film where you saw the rise of CGI and and how the phantom menace was just dominated by CGI and where lucas pretty much left the story you know at skywalker ranch and just went you know, all in on, on CGI. So at some point I wonder, do you get that comfortable? Do you get, I guess I'm trying to say, do you get to a point in life, whether it's filmmaking or any art for that matter, or, you know, your day-to-day job, do you get that comfortable where you lose your edge? You know what I mean? You're not as hungry. You're not as focused, uh, as you did when you, when you got into the game, because when you got into the game, you were full of zip. You know what I mean? You were full of gusto. You had juice, you know what I mean. Reminds me of, reminds me of that scene, you know what I mean, with uh, in in Rocky Three, uh, you know when uh, Rocky Balboa wanted to fight Clubber Lang, uh, and, and and Clubber Lang played by you know brilliantly pr- portrayed and played by Mister T, and uh, Rocky's, you know Rocky's guy, Rocky's coach, his corner man, his trainer. Uh, Mickey, he he didn't want no parts of that shit, cause he knew that the Rock got comfortable. He knew it. You really don't think I got nothing left, do you? Well, Rock, let's let's put it this way. You know, three years ago, you was supernatural. You was you was hard and you was nasty. Yeah, this cast iron jaw. But then the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. Think about that. Could George Lucas have got civilized to a point where he himself lost his edge? You know, like like Mick said, you know. You, you you can't win. And and at some point, if you surround yourself with enough people that say yes you can, you're gonna believe it and you're just gonna you're gonna get out there and you're gonna get in the ring and you're gonna lose. A la 
Star Wars Episode One: Attack of the Clones. But I mean, did it really lose? I mean, think about it for a minute. It, it, number one movie made you know billions of dollars. Does it? Does it really lose? Who loses? I guess the fans in some way. But again, like I said, this is this would be more of a character study. I think. I think you know, for me to for me to launch right into what I thought, for me to break down. Uh, the new Star Wars movie, uh, The Force Awakens, and to to break it down to you, and I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. And if you if you haven't, don't worry. I, I, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but because there's no need for me to get into it uh, on that level. But I, you know, I will share some thoughts, uh, you know, with you. But before I do that, I would have to, you know, talk about, you know, Lucas in a whole before all this like what made him what brought, what what propelled him to come up with Star Wars in a quote Dale M Pollock of the New Republic he says Lucas had always been something of a fanboy himself as a teenager he was obsessed with cars and wanted to be a race car driver until an accident a day before his high school graduation almost killed him his other passion was movies, adventure, science fiction. At the University of Southern California Film School, he made THX 1138. Or is that THX 1138? I can't remember. It's a movie about a futuristic world ruled by fascism and mind control, a precursor to Darth Vader's evil empire, later turned into a feature film by Warner Brothers. But Lucas was infuriated by plot tweaks, and script adjustments suggested by the studio. In 1971, he responded by founding his own production company, Lucasfilm, so, so that he could make his own movies with minimum interference from the world outside. End quote. Now let's look at the inception of this saga. Now this is a conversation George Lucas had with Rolling Stone magazine. He starts by saying... He loved cinema, so much so he thought he was going to be a, a documentary filmmaker. Uh, he, he was a student in the 60s, and he wanted to make socially relevant films and tell it like it is. Uh, at some point, he came up, George Lucas came up with the idea to make a rock and roll movie, you know, with cars and all that stuff he knew about as a kid. And then he came up with the idea of, of making, you know, a really big child's a fantasy fairy tale. Uh, at that point, he won a scholarship with Warner Brothers for six months, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola took him under his wing. At that point, uh, Coppola offered to have him make uh, a feature version of the film he made as a student, which was the THX uh, 1138. Uh, so Lucas says, so being a young, uh, young and bearded, and Francis being young and bearded, I thought, well, he understands my concerns. But then he said, if you're going to direct, Francis Ford Coppola says, you're going to have to learn to write. And not only do you have to learn to write, but you're going to have to be good at it. He then forced uh, George Lucas to write the script for THX 1138. 1138. I'm going to go back and forth throughout that. But he forced George Lucas to write that, and the first draft was pretty awful. 
uh, words. Uh, uh, those are George Lucas's words. Uh, George Lucas continues to say, anyway, I worked for a year on the script. I just didn't think Francis was ever going to get this picture off the ground. So I started working on a screenplay uh, with uh, John uh, Milas. Um, uh, and we both wanted to make a film about war or about the war, as he was saying at the time. And you can guess what war movie they were talking about. Apocalypse Now. And we all know that film. George Lucas goes on to say, yeah, we were working on it when Francis not only got the deal for THX, but for Apocalypse Now. It was exciting. We were going to be able to do just what we wanted. And then came Black Thursday, Lucas goes on to say. And Black Thursday is what Lucas and Coppola called it. Francis had borrowed all this money from Warner Brothers to set up things. And when the studio saw the rough cut of THX and the scripts of the movies we wanted to make, says George Lucas, they said, this is all junk. You have to pay back the money you owe us, which is why Francis did The Godfather. He was in debt. So just think about that for a minute. Hungry. Starving. Your back is against the wall. Okay. You want to you you want to George and Francis have this idea they form each of them form their own companies and decide to come together to to, to produce to direct right and the stuff that they're writing the executives the executives don't get it I mean you have to you have to really understand this isn't 2015 you know you're not you're making today they're making anything you can think of from king kong to superman to batman to uh captain america you name it it can it can be done and executives just want to green light stuff like that this is the 1970s right they didn't understand what was going on but lucas and coppola did and they had to figure a way to convince the studio to greenlight their projects. At this point, the studios didn't want to greenlight anything. They wanted their money back. And at that time, according to Lucas in this interview, this is what led Coppola to do The Godfather. Now just, just sit and you think about that for a minute. So at this point, George Lucas says, when Coppola decided to do The Godfather, he was left high and dry. THX had taken uh, three years to make and hadn't made any money. So that puts him in a tough spot. So at that point, Lucas decides to do his quote-unquote rock and roll movie that was more commercial. And the studios were still supporting that. So he started working on that more. And that, of course, is American Graffiti. And Lucas started taking his, uh, uh, what, what, what he wrote down, his treatment. And he started taking that around. And what he found out was he was getting turned down for American. 
again, just think about this for a minute. If you if you haven't seen American Graffiti, you should you should watch it. Okay, you should watch it because it is one of the greatest films that Lucas has done easily. But it's, again, it's one of those films that defines a period of time and is a staple, a part of pop culture. So he's he's running around and he's taking American Graffiti. It was a 12-page treatment around, and it was turned down by every studio. Lucas says the, the situation was pretty grim. And then he got an invite to Cannes uh, Film Festival because THX had been chosen by some radical director uh, group, uh, you know, to be played. But Warner Brothers wouldn't pay pay his way. He said Warner Brothers would not pay my way. So he was down to his last two grand, all right. And he paid his own expense, and he got backpacks and went to Cannes. It's Cannes or Cannes, I don't know. So at this point, Lucas says, he de- I decided to stop in New York on his way to Europe and make uh, David uh, Picker, who was then head of United Artists, and have a meeting with him. I told him about uh, my rock and roll movie, Lucas says. We flew off to England, and he called and said, okay, I'll take a chance. I met with him again in a giant suite at the at the Carlton Hotel in Cannes. And we made a two-picture deal for American Graffiti and Star Wars. So again, this is uh, David Picker, head of United Artists. Okay, that's United Artists. And he made the two-picture deal for both uh, American Graffiti and Star Wars. But United Artists never made American Graffiti. So Lucas found himself in another tight situation. Strapped for cash, he started borrowing money and shopping the script again. With a finished script in hand, he was back at the studios. Now these same studios had turned him down time and time again. And then he found himself back in front of Universal, one of the studios that had turned him down in the beginning for American graffiti and universal said that they would might, they might be interested. They might be interested if a movie star was involved. And Lucas said he doesn't, doesn't have anyone with that type of name that could command, that could put people in the seats. So universal then said that even name a producer, like a a big name producer and they may do the film. They may back it. And on that list of names was Francis Ford Coppola. See, at that time, The Godfather was about to be released, and the whole town was abuzz. Universal, being what it, what it is, was trying to cash in on, a, on, on this real quick. You could see the way they were thinking, Lucas says. From the man who brought, brought you the Godfather. Anyway, Francis said, sure. Godfather came out, and it was a huge hit. So you would think that the rest was you know, was history. That, you know, then that would lead to financing for American Graffiti. But Lucas goes on to say, Universal wouldn't give us our first check. Francis came very close to financing American Graffiti himself. Finally, Universal mellowed. 
when I first screened American Graffiti, one of the executives from Universal came up to me and said, this movie is, is, is not a, uh, not fit to show to an audience. You know, he just dismissed Lucas and his film. And that's what, what he actually said. Well, Lucas goes on to say, Francis blew his cork. In my eyes, it was Francis, Francis's most glorious moment. He started screaming and yelling at the guy. You know, he's yelling, how, how can you do this to this poor kid? He's screaming at, at the executive. And that, I think that's what you need. You need someone who has your back. Sometimes you need that cosigner. Of course. Of course. It would be great to have a Francis Ford Coppola backing you up in a tough situation. Especially after your film is being dismissed by some pompous, uh, arrogant uh, executive. But Coppola goes on to say, how can you do this to this poor kid? He did this film for nothing, no money. He killed himself. And the first thing you tell him is that it's not a fit to show an audience. Couldn't you say thank you? Thank you. you. You did sort of a good job. Glad you brought it in on budget and on time. So Francis keeps yelling and yelling. He says, well, I like this movie. I'll buy it. I'll give you a check for it right now. And this is Coppola. Okay. Early Coppola. You know what I mean? So you can see the mindset, the mindset of the executive, the mindset of the quote unquote bosses, just dismissing people as if they were nothing, as if any, all their hard work is nothing when they put blood, sweat, and tears into a product and people can just dismiss it like it's nothing. In this case, Lucas had Francis Ford Coppola which is a win. And as we would say, a come up. So Universal took the film, as Lucas goes on to say. But we still fought and fought. They wanted to take five minutes out of it. Five minutes in a movie is not going to make a difference. It was nothing more than an exercise in authority. Universal saying they had the right. So again, they're, you know, this turns from, you know, a pissing contest to a, 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 a power, not even a power struggle, but just someone who's trying to dominate you. And we've all been in positions like that. And this is how George Lucas had to deal with it at this moment in time. Lucas goes on to say, at the bleakest point in all this, I got an offer to direct. I was writing every day, which I hate. So there was temptation, but I said no. I went on until the price was $100,000 and points for a fee. The most I had ever been paid to direct a movie was fifteen grand. I said no. It was a real turning point, Lucas goes on to say. The movie was called Lady Ice. I've never seen this movie. You're starring Donald Sutherland. And it was a disaster, according to Lucas. Lucas goes on to say, if I had done the movie, it would have been the end of my career. I felt sort of proud of myself when I said no. So think about that. He's hurting for money. He's getting beaten up by the studios. He needs money. And he turns down a great sum of money. $100,000 and points. 
But he said no. So that's that says a lot right there. And again, Lucas goes on to say he was proud and it was a turning point. American Graffiti goes on. And was it a hit? Lucas says not quite. It was January 1973. I had been paid $20,000 for American Graffiti. It had taken two years. I was $15,000 in debt. And Universal hated the film so much they were contemplating on selling it as a TV movie of the week. I had to start paying back some of this money, so I thought, I'll whip up a treatment. My second deal at United Artists, my little quote-unquote space thing. So I did a 15-page treatment, showed it to United Artists, no deal. So I took it to Universal. And Lucas goes on to say, I hated Universal, but I had to go to them. Part of my deal to make American Graffiti was that I had to sign my life over to them for seven years. Think about that. You actually have to sign on the line that is dotted, and there's a number attached. So he part of that deal is to sign it for seven years, his life. That's the way they worked there, Lucas says. They owned me. They had first refusal on any idea I had. I showed it to them, and they said no. His quote-unquote little little space thing. And they said no. I took it to Alan Ladd Jr. at Fox, and he said he would take a chance, and he laughed. And he goes on to say, I was only asking $10,000 to write the screenplay. In August of 1973, American Graffiti came out, and it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. And that sort of finished my financial woes once and for all, Lucas says. After American Graffiti, Lucas says, at that point, I was thinking about quitting directing. But I had this huge draft of a screenplay that I had sort of fallen in love with. Plus... I was a street filmmaker. I had never done a big studio picture. So I thought, this will be the last movie I direct. I can finally finish the script. I wanted to make a fairy tale epic. But this was like war and peace. So I took the script and I cut it in half. Put the first half aside and decided to write the screenplay from the second half. I was on page 170, and I thought, holy smokes, I need 100 pages, not 500. But I had these great scenes. So I took that story, and I cut it into three parts. You can see where this is going, people, can't you? This this little science, sci-fi experiment of his. So George Lucas cut that in half. Or should I say he cut it in three parts. He goes on to say, I took the first part and said, this will be my script. But no matter what happens, I'm going to get these three movies made. When I made the deal to write and direct Star Wars at Fox, I obviously made it for nothing. All I had was a deal memo, no contract, 
Then graffiti came out, was a hit, and suddenly I was powerful. Fox thought I was going to come back and demand millions of dollars in all these gross points. Lucas goes on to say, I said, I'll do it for the deal memo. But we haven't talked about things like merchandising rights, sequel rights, and so on. Think about that. And we all know now, in 2015, what that means. In the 70s, they had no idea. You're talking the early 70s. Studios had no concept. They couldn't imagine. So Lucas goes on to say, I said I wasn't going to give up any of those when it comes to merchandising and sequel rights. And Fox said, fine. They were getting me less. Far as money goes, less than $100,000. Now, historically, this is a bad call. This is a bad call, uh, and you can see why the studios made it. Here is a... A relative, uh, re- a relative newcomer to Holly- to the Hollywood scene. You know, whether he had a hit movie or not. Of course, he had American Graffiti. But he wanted to make something that they'd never heard of. He wanted to make a space opera. You know, and, and, and that space opera was filled with, with words like... And keep in mind, this is, again, I'll say this over and over. This is the early 70s. This was filled with words like Jedi... Wookie, droids, you know, those, you know, those didn't exist at that time. It was called Starkiller, Luke Skywalker's original name. You know, how could they, how could a studio possibly conceive what Bocce was? Let alone who understands it and speaks it. Moisture evaporators, land speeders. Lightsabers. It goes on and on and on. They had no idea. Blasters. TIE fighters. They had no idea. So when Fox waived merchandising rights, they couldn't grasp what they were doing at that time. And Lucas goes on to say, well, when I was writing, I had a vision of R2-D2 mugs and little wind-up robots, but I thought that would be the end of it. I went for the merchandising because it's one of the few things left we hadn't discussed. I took everything that hadn't been discussed. All I knew was that I wanted control, I wanted to control the sequel rights because I wanted to make the other two movies. That's it. He had a plan from the beginning. He had the vision from the beginning. And he was smart enough to think and get the rights to the the, the very things they didn't discuss, which was merchandising and sequels. So, of course... Fox being Fox, you know, let that go. And and they they still had first refusal on every Star Wars film. At the time of this interview, which was done on on Rolling Stone magazine in the 80s, early 80s, I think 1980 to be exact, 
Lucas said he had seven films left, so he just finished Empire Strikes Back. So this brings us closer into where we are now, circa 2015 with Episode 7. And at that time, Lucas, that was one of his concerns. You know, would Fox continue to go down the road? Would they refuse one of his films? And he says, I guess you really have to, I guess you really do have reason to hate Hollywood. They're rather sleazy, unscrupulous people. L.A. is where they make deals, do business in in, in the classic corporate American way, which is screw everybody and do whatever you can to make the biggest profit. They don't care about the people. It's a it, it it is incredible the way they treat filmmakers because they have no idea what making a movie is about. To them, the deal is the movie. They have no idea of the suffering, the hard work. They're not filmmakers. I don't want to have anything to do with them. But if you want to make movies, do what you have to. You know, if you want to make movies, don't you still have to deal with them, is is what he's saying. And he goes on to say, that's why I'm trying to build the ranch. And at this time, what we know now is Skywalker Ranch. It didn't even exist. It didn't even exist. And the man had the vision to know he was going to have to have his own. And I've said that before on this podcast, time and time again, you have to put yourself in a position where you own it yourself and then not to put you in the driver's seat. And that's what Lucas did. He bought 2,000 acres in California and that's where he built what we know today as Skywalker Ranch. And at the time... Lucas was basically, not even basically, he was using any money that he made from every project to fund another project. And again, that goes back to what I talked about at at almost the top of this podcast about having that drive, okay, being hungry. Because you're not just getting fat and just living off, you know, the fame, the glory, the riches. You're taking it and you're reinvesting it. And that's how, again, he built did American Graffiti, and he went from American Graffiti to Star Wars, Star Wars to Empire, Empire to Jedi, and so on and so on. Built the ranch. Uh, You have THX, and you you, you have all these different entities because of that, because of those profits. And that's what he said. He goes on to say, we're taking the profits from the Empire Strikes Back. And putting it into the next film, Revenge of the Jedi. Now, keep in mind, at the time uh, when he did Empire, uh, it was uh, Revenge of the Return of the Jedi, what is known now is entitled Re- Revenge. This is common knowledge. Uh, so I don't need to go into detail about that. But he goes in to talk, say uh, he's taking the money from that and investing them in outside companies, then using those profits to build the ranch and maintain the overhead. It's just the opposite of how studios works. Basically, what we're doing is using the profits of other company, companies to subsidize a film company rather than a film organization subsidizing a conglomerate. So, smart man. 
when it comes to that. My only interest in life is to make films, explore films, and grow as a person, says George Lucas. If I can do that and break even and not be forced to make a movie this year, or if I can make a movie that is not commercial at all, not even releasable. Making a movie is very difficult and painful. And if someone comes along after you've done all this work and says you're a fool and an idiot, it's very hard to pick it, pick up and do it again. So as I think, I think that's very, very important because if you, and again, this goes back to the character study, which I think is far more fascinating at this point than the actual Star Wars universe. But if you look at the character study of, of who George Lucas is, I think that that right there, what he just said, making a movie is very difficult and painful. And if someone comes along after you've done all this work and says you're a fool and an idiot, Think about how hard it is for him every time. Every time someone came at him and said they hated Return of the Jedi because of the Ewoks. They hated the Phantom Menace because of Jar Jar. You know, any insult that you can think of, you know, how much weight did that put on that man? That's what I find fascinating. And the fact that he remained strong and, 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 and his vision and his quest to get these films done at all cost. Maybe it, maybe, it, maybe it goes back to when he was a teenager, when he was 18. And he was in a car accident. Lucas goes on in the interview with Rolling Stone magazine to say, it was right before I graduated from high school. And I should have been killed, but I wasn't. I was driving a little sports car with a roll bar and a racer's seatbelt. I was hit, the car rolled, and for some reason, the seatbelt broke. In one of the rolls, just before the car pretzelized, Jesus, pretzelized itself around a tree, it wrapped itself around a tree, the seatbelt broke. If I'd stayed in the car, I would have been dead. He would have been pinned against that tree. When you go through something like that, Luke says, it puts a little little more perspectives on uh, on things. Like maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe I was here to do Star Wars, and that's it. And I'm living on borrowed time. Lucas goes on to talk about being head of his own corporation and he goes on to talk about his thoughts on being a businessman lucas says no i don't want to be a businessman my ambition is to make movies but all by myself to shoot them cut them make stuff i want to just for my own exploration to see if i can combine images in a certain way my movies will go back to the way first films were which dealt with a little more realistic uh, uh, um, human condition, he says. 
says he's Lucas says he's I'm I'm very cynical. And as a result, I think the defense I have against it is to be optimistic and to think people are, you know, they're basically good. Although I know in my heart they're not, Lucas says. And again, that's those are those are quotes. That is George Lucas from his mouth from a Rolling Stone interview done June of 1980. Now you fast forward to 2012. 2012 Lucasfilm was bought by Disney for $4 billion. Now this was bound to happen. I mean, isn't it how we do business? Isn't it how the big deals are done here in America? You start small and you get big enough so another company buys you out. You're wealthy. Isn't that how it's done? It seems, you know, we've seen it time and time again in this day and age. No one's new. You see it in the headlines. Google bought this company. Apple bought this company. Facebook bought that company. Lucas started off small with his his experimental films, his rock and roll film, his uh, experimental sci-fi films with his vision. And he enjoyed, you know, mainstream success. But at some point, I think it started taking his toll on him. At some point, he became what he wants. You know, what the very thing that he stood up against. Think about that. The very thing at the top of the podcast that he stood up against the major studios, how he talked about the major studios, how the executives bashed him. Everything that he stood up against. The giant corporation that focuses on scale and the sparkle and the box office numbers. He, his company almost became or did in some ways. If you think about that in a whole. I mean, if, if your focus is just on numbers, don't you lose something? Don't, doesn't the, 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 the art itself uh, start to suffer? The story, the soul start begins and ends and it starts to suffer starts to break down now that could be a little could be a little overly dramatic I could be I could be a little overly dramatic but I think it's safe to say that it throughout all this it started taking its toll on George Lucas and he wanted and quite possibly needed a way out Now it's December 2015. And I'm wondering, where do I stand in all this? Is this 1999 all over again? Now I didn't put much thought into it. I really didn't. I didn't, I didn't put a lot of thought into Episode 7, The Force Awakens. I mean, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't like the font. Of The Force Awakens. I was nitpicking at first. But then I just relaxed my mind. I looked at a couple trailers. But I did not go into it. Looking to dissect it. Although in the back of my mind I wondered. Am I going to lie to myself again as I did. With The Phantom Menace. 
Would I deceive myself? Would I be dishonest with myself in what I thought of the film itself in a whole? I mean, it's obvious going into it. I was, I was con- also concerned about Disney and their part in it. Thinking about their bottom line, thinking about the numbers, thinking about winning the weekends, consecutive weekend after weekend after weekend. I mean, this screen, this uh, the, this film alone, uh, the screen count is 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 upwards and onwards over uh, four thousand theaters. That's a lot of screens. Might even be 4,134 to be exact. That's a shitload of theaters. One plane hour after hour. So, I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you flood every multiplex theater, every independent house with this film, I mean, you're bound to see it. You almost have no choice but to see it. You know? The holidays, the kids are all off. It's going to be the movie. Of course, it's going to break records. They've got this figured out, you know. I think the days of uh, of standing in line like we saw in 77 are, are long gone because, you know, now you can just order your ticket online. You can actually pick your seat. So, again, I didn't really know what to expect. All I can say is my only thought about Episode 7, The Force Awakens, was it had been transferred over to a new studio, big studio, Disney, but there was hope because it was entrusted in the hands of J.J. Abrams, which he's, you know, we know his background. If you don't Google him, IMDB him, he's done some, some, you know, he's done some great work. And even leading up to it, although I tried to avoid as many articles as I could because I wanted to go in fresh, I knew that he and his intent was just. He wanted to he wanted to keep the story true to the original trilogy, that style, that feel, that soul. So you know, I I, I trusted that. I went to go see it at a uh, a theater. And my son and I went to see it uh, at a movie theater called the Alamo, I think it's Draft House and Cinema. I think that's it. They're based out of uh, Texas. And this, this style of cinema is, um, you know, one of those dine-in uh, cinemas, which I had some concern because I don't want to smell someone else's Royale with cheese, which they do serve at this cinema. I don't want to smell someone else's Royale with cheese with extra onions while I'm watching Star Wars. But we did... Uh, indulge ourselves in, uh, you know, in a nice cinematic meal of choice. My my son had the Royale with cheese, no onion, and I had the carnivore uh, pizza, loaded with lots of meats, plenty of meats. So you know, but but the Alamo Draft House is really unique because a it's you know you pick your seat, so you don't have to worry about rushing. They won't let you in if you're late. They do say that. So if you're late, you're not going to be getting into the theater. Once they shut the doors, that's it. But uh, they do a unique job because they show, before the movie, they show, uh, it doesn't matter what movie it is, they're showing screening. Uh, they do these little clips of uh, uh, vintage commercials from the time. So they did a lot of old Star Wars commercials, Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, Kenner Toys, um, uh, 
Burger Chef, not Burger King, Burger Chef commercials with C-3PO. All sorts of craziness leading up to it, which really engages the fans and gets you fired up. And like I say, they do that with, with all their movies. So it's always a, a fun watch. One of the things that they showed was uh, these Darth Vader clips and that uh, Darth Vader would come out, but they would dub it with a different voice. So it would be, be some of the famous scenes from the trilogy, the original trilogy, and they would take out uh, James Earl Jones's voice and they would substitute it uh, with other other people's uh, uh, or other movies, um, you know, voices. And, and uh, it was uh, it was quite a riot. So I'm going to play a couple of those clips. I know you have been inconvenienced, and I'm prepared to compensate you. Shall we say one million American dollars? Very well then, two million. The Death Star plans are not in the main computer. Your mama's going on a date. Can you dig that? A date. Like a nice restaurant and some fine music. Uh, uh, this is a consulate ship. We're on a diplomatic mission. Dig that? She's going with me. She's going to have a good time. Can you dig that? Look, man, I'm in the prime of my life. Got to live the way I got to. Going to make me some money again. I'm going to fight. I got my turn to be the champion of the world. God. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not steal for this. When they hear you've attacked a diplomat... Hey, look, man, I ain't fighting for no race. I ain't redeeming nobody. I quit on you when you cleared out of Detroit with Willie the Pimp. Yeah, you look out too busy to find your girl. You're selling my clothes, my ring, my silver brushes. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. Don't you pop me, girl. I'll pop you so you never forget it. You get your black ass out of here. Jesus. Holding her is dangerous. Word of this gets out. It could generate sympathy for the rebellion in the Senate. What am I supposed to do? Stash her in the itty-bitty hole someplace in nigger town and go sneaking up there at 12 o'clock at night? She'll die before she'll tell you anything. Or carry around with me in a little box, like a pet bunny rabbit or something? Lord Vader, huh? battle station plans are not on board <laughs> this ship. And? And no transmissions were made. Oh. Your escape pod was jettisoned during the fighting. And? No life forms were aboard. Well, pretty far along as it is, man. I'm just sitting here getting older every minute. And I'm going right out the door. Yes, Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion... The daddy is the breadwinner. You think what I'm saying? If you don't win that bread, you just don't come around. Enough of this. Vader, release him. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I found that funny. You can find those in on... Uh, I guess it's actjack.com, A-K-J-A-K.com. So they played those. So that, that was the setup. You know, that, that got you really fired up. Um, no doubt. There's another one. Hey, baby. 
got this real sweet thing going on. They can go on forever like this, as far as I'm concerned. So don't look so down. Oh, Lordy, what's to do when the romance thing goes? Yeah, you, you got you got to check it out. Uh, just like I said, go to. Uh, um, I'll spell it A-K-J-A-K dot com. And there's a, there's a list of them uh, that you can watch and enjoy. Uh, and some of you have probably already hip to this. I, I just had never seen it until the movie. And they're called Vader Sessions. So you can Google that as well. Now, I could, I could, I could go into the film and break it down for you if you want. I could talk about, uh, you know, basically anything that I didn't like about the movie or the things that I did like about the movie, you know, talking about star Wars episode seven, the force awakens, uh, directed by JJ Abrams. Uh, you know, I, I could nitpick it, you know, I could, I could, I could break it down, but see, the key thing is to take away from this. It's a star Wars movie. That's it. It's a, it's fun, you know, love it or hate it. Um, I, 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 I think, for the if you call him someone who's a traditionalist uh, of the original trilogy, it falls right in line with those. You know what I mean? I'm going to say it's right up there with the first uh, A New Hope, uh, as good as A New Hope, um, better than Return of the Jedi. Uh, you know, doesn't come close to Empire Strikes Back, but that's only because of my own personal intimate. Well, Empire is Empire. You you can't you can't top Empire. That's just it. But it it. It's a solid film all the way around. Um, I think that the the chemistry uh, between Harrison Ford and um, uh, Han Solo and Ray is fantastic, played by um, Daisy Ridley. Uh, I thought that uh, I thought that Finn was probably my favorite character in the film. I thought he brought an emotional connection uh, to the film. Uh, he brought uh, a, a great. Um, bit of comic relief and uh, emotional value, emotional content. And he had great chemistry with everyone. Um, it's got my boy Oscar Isaac in it. You know, I'm a big fan of his, all his films. I mean, it's got everyone in it. Everyone's got a part in it. Everyone plays their part. Everyone stays in their lane. You know, uh, yeah, there's some things I would have liked to have seen different, one or two things, but overall the body of work. Uh, I think they entrusted it in the right person, and that is uh, that's J.J. Abrams. So again, if I ask myself, am I lying to myself again? You know, am I am I am I doing what I did with Episode One, The Phantom Menace? You know, this time I think I'm I'm, I'm more honest with myself uh, about the film, and I realize that uh, as much as I love Star Wars, at the end of the day, this isn't Star Wars. For me, yes, I'll go see it. Yes, I'll enjoy it. Yes, I will celebrate it. But my Star Wars will always be A New Hope, Empire, and Jedi. That was my time. This new Star Wars is for the new generation. So it's a passing of the torch. You know what I mean? This new generation, it's for them. Let them enjoy it. Okay? Let them embrace it. Let them feel it and let them love it. That's the point. That's why Star Wars, now yeah, you can argue that and say, oh, well, actually the point is to sell merchandise so Disney can, you know, make billions and billions of dollars. But at the end of the day, you know, the people that are watching it, you know, people down here in the streets that are working and trying to take days, you know, get a day off so they can see it with their children. I think they 
deserve to have their moment. I think the children, the new generation, deserves to have their moment with their Star Wars. And that's the that's what I took away from it. And I think that uh, I know that J.J. Abrams and company did a fantastic job, you know, with this um, installment of Star Wars. So, again, like I said, it's the passing of the torch. And based off what I saw in The Force Awakens, uh, it's in good hands. And, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to let the, this 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 generation enjoy their Star Wars and I'm going to celebrate it. With them. Domino, motherfucker. The American Riddle Podcast. Malcolm Riddle. Riddle. The American Riddle Podcast.